0: Hi, I'm Jan Orman. I'm a GP and host of Black Dog Institute's Being Well podcast. The Being Well podcast is a series of engaging stories from real people who've led interesting lives and experienced mental health difficulties. They have not allowed their mental health difficulties to define them, but have grown and flourished. Every now and again, we'll mention online resources, If you'd like to find out more about those resources, please head to the eMental Health in Practice page of the Black Dog Institute website. There are issues discussed in these podcasts that some people might find distressing. If you do experience distress, please contact your usual support person or lifeline on 13 11 14 Let me introduce you to Percy Knight. Percy comes from Western New South Wales. He grew up on a mission and as a young man played rugby league for the Balmain Tigers in the 1980s. Percy subsequently went on to a career as a campaigner for Indigenous rights. More recently, he's traveled widely to rural and remote communities to promote resilience and awareness of social and emotional well-being in his community. He's currently lecturing at Sydney University and working towards his PhD.
1: Hello it's, My name is Percy Knight. I was born on the 29th of September 1954 in Condalment. I uh, lived there till I was about 17 or 18. Uh, went to a mission school till I was about the age of 11 or 12. Um uh, we we live as if we were living semi-traditional, we 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 went hunting, we went fishing, and we, we the the Raji people are known and are, are the people of the three rivers, and one you know being the Lachlan, um, the the um, the Lachlan, Macquarie, and and the um, uh, the Barkindji River, which is under uh, under a lot of um, stress at the moment, I would say. The darling and now those three rivers run into the Murray uh, down, but we were known as, as people of the three rivers we are the Kalari people of the Raji nation heartbeat of the Raji nation and um, life for us kids were it was good uh, but we were too young to understand um, what assimilation integration had done to our elders you know, there was problems. Problems with there was no work, so everybody was on. They had to accept rations. Otherwise, you know, I mean, we still fished and we still went out picking mushrooms and, and um, hunting kangaroos and goannas and uh, and all sorts. So we we did have that that sort of uh, that that sort of lifestyle. But then we went from living like blackfellas to living like whitefellas. And that was a transition period it wasn't too difficult for for us as kids, even though we felt it most of us actually used to used to wag school and go down the river and swim across to the old mission and hang out there um because we we, we you know we we were living in a, a new world a new and it was a foreign world for us um but our our older people struggled time and uh, and a lot of them did um, did have depression or the boogeyman got them um, so that that transition from living like indigenous Australians to living like white people was a uh, was was very tough to 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 come to 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 actually uh, live in that in an environment where uh, everything you do was was monitored by other people on the mission. Uh, even though the missionaries were uh, they, they they were missionaries, they were sometimes uh, their management skills were very hard to understand. And um, we we'll often say, "Look, you're in our country now. We're not in your country. Our country meant that, that, not talking about Australia as a as a country, but where we actually were living at the time. We were happy there." uh But the problem that that was is that you know we we had no ways to create economic freedom We were always um most of the people were receiving uh pensions or, or endowment that they used to say in those days um we, every family had a large family, but we also had a lot of sorry business going on and um and a lot of our people suffered depression at a, you know, at a at a time where they they didn't know what, what was wrong with them. Or we we knew that, uh, particularly in the men, um, we we um, we sort of knew that there was something wrong with them. And in fact, we used to call it um, that they had they got the boogeyman boogeyman is inside them and that was the, the depression as a young boy growing up in kanama i remember talking to a friend and he was complaining about one of our uncles and i said look don't worry about poor old uncle he's just a bit mental he's he's a he's a bit he's a bit silly and when i said that my auntie overheard it standing not far from me then gave me the biggest cloud across the of the head said so don't you ever talk to, your pe- talk to your people like that there's nothing wrong with poor old uncle They're, he's just feeling a bit sick and, uh, and I, that 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 moment in time for me stuck with me all my life and depression is like a, I mean it is a sickness and that's like any other sickness you can get help you can manage it but unfortunately there are people in a lot of uh, a lot of people in Australia suffer in silence, and that's probably the worst thing you can do. So I, I, I experienced um, depression at a sorry at a very younger age uh, on on the mission in Kondoban. Um and I, I didn't quite know what it was, but I did notice in our our eldest people because. Kondo of like most indigenous community had a culture of 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 alcohol culture or grog there. We used to refer to it. Um, and that created problems. So those men would would uh, that that were drinking heavily and the women were drinking heavily, um, they they did suffer, and you could tell by their eyes that there was something wrong. But you know, we were uh, kids at the time, and we were, um, you know, we were parented not only by our mothers and father, but by the old community. So it, it was that that caring nature that we had, but the grog culture was was really the ma- major factor for uh, for depression in our in our communities, uh, and that's what they used to do: drink heavily, and of course then. A lot of other issues, health issues um, as a result, like um, cirrhosis of the liver uh, with our people. And we had a lot of people passing away. We'd have a funeral, I would say, every one in every three months and that was pretty sad. And when somebody dies in our community, we call it sorry business, everybody is affected. And, uh, you know, depression was really grabbing hold to our our people. They didn't quite understand what it was. And of course, when they went to the doctors, you know, they had to go walk about five kilometers to even get to the hospital. Um, They were treated like, honestly, they, uh, they, they were treated like second class citizens. And I guess, what got me out of that sort of environment was my ability to play sports. I was still on the mission at the age of 11 or 12. Then after the 1967 referendum, they relocated us into town. So then we had to go to the White School. And that, that created uh, a lot of issues for our people, in particular depression. Because all of a sudden, they weren't allowed to live like like they used to live. Uh, they had to live the white way of living, all right. So we were put into housing and so forth, and running water and so forth, but electricity. In those, days, they used to have uh, those electricity with meters where you put ten cents in it, <laughs> and most of the time nobody had change or <laughs> so. We used to build big fires out in the backyard and <laughs> and so forth, but it was it was part of that that. That assimilation process. Uh, then I started playing you know, touch footy in the school yard and so forth, and you know, with with all my other friends from the mission, I I, I, I didn't do that well at school. Although a um, a school teacher came up to me one day and, and shook his head. He looked like you know that that um, KFC um, guy, you know. <laughs> anyway. He said, you know what? He said, you're just lazy. He said you've got you're, you're a really intelligent boy. And uh I said, Well, what is education gonna bring me here in Conda?' Uh, I said he said, Well, that's a good question, but that's depend that's your destiny depends on you. Uh, and I thought, well, okay, I'll take that on board. Um, but I was never going to be a scholar uh, as such while at that point in time. I wanted to be a football player. I wasn't worried about, I mean, how many academics you see playing rugby league or, uh, or you know. I, I remember we used to have an in, inter school a competition between West Wyalong and Grenfell, and, and there would be a 3 2. So we used to go. So so we, we had one, one of the teachers who was pretty passionate about rugby league and got us all together, and then he realised, well, oh. These black kids have got they've got good, good ability and they uh, they got natural sporting instinct. So, um, that that's how I started playing playing football and I was very good at it, so I'm told. Uh age of sixteen I I, I um people started to actually take notice or realising that I was a player of, of uh of 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 potential and uh we used to listen to the radio uh, broadcasts of the the games in Sydney and say, so go that's what I want to do in life. I want to I want to go and play Sydney. I want to go Sydney. Then I want to come back to Kandav and help my people." And I've achieved that. Um, but my journey started. Um, I had a a young young child at the age of seventeen. Um, I got married at eighteen in those days you couldn't get married until you were 18. Uh, and I think I got divorced at 19. <laughs> so, so, but by this time my, my career was, was really evolving. And, and I knew I had to leave Condo in order to get the opportunity. So I went to Canberra and I started playing footy up there in the Canberra competition and represented the division in 1978, the stars of that team, we were very successful. We won the country championship, and, and so we all picked for country teams and country first. But there was another Indigenous kid called Larry Cora, the Black Flash. So him and I just, we, we, we were still our mates, and we've been mates all our life. And the rugby league community hadn't seen yeah two indigenous boys with that sort of ability um, and and i guess as we as we continued to play we we started to attract a lot of attention. It was only when monero because Monero division actually won the country championship, we got to play great Britain at the at now Great Britain had a great team, and uh although I played uh for Monero division at centre. I mean, everybody knew that was a 5-8, right? They could move a team around the around the, around the, footy field and uh, create opportunities. Um, but in that Monero division game against Great Britain, really changed our lives forever. Uh, Larry ended up scoring five tries, and a lot of those tries I actually set them up. Uh, and of course then, you know, we 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 beat them by about 30, 40 points. Great, and this is a great beating team. <laughs> and that that game, uh, particularly in the Canberra environment and so forth, is is still talked about and discussed. And and then we we then got an offer to go to uh, Balm- oh, well, I, we had a few offers. We had it at South Sydney, North Sydney, um, uh, Cronulla. Um, we, we had we had um, those. People um those clubs, you know, saying, Well, do you, you know, do you want to come to Sydney? I said, Of course I did. But then <laughs> Larry was a very skinny guy. He was very yeah, you know, but he had he could he should have been in the Olympic Games. That 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 is how quick he was. And uh, I said, What about me, mate? Uh, Larry. I said, so oh, we think he's a bit light, and you know, he probably will get knocked around in the game. I said, well, if they can catch him, they'll probably knock him around. So I said, well, uh, um, yeah, we'd like to go together. Uh, and I said, well, you know, we've got, we, we got some issues. there. But anyway, it turned out that I said, well, if Larry doesn't go, I don't go. So... They decided to take Balmain. They decided to take both of us, and that's how we ended up at Balmain. And then, then because of we we the Canberra Raiders then came in in '81, and I thought, well, beauty. I said, I can go back home and still play, you know, uh, in the NRL. Um, so we and I remember doing some interviews saying, well, Canberra Raiders is an emerging team. You know, the playing roster is probably not all that strong at the moment, but it will grow. And then later on we find out, we find that players like Mal and, uh and uh, the Walters brothers and, uh, you know, um, uh, Terry Fay, who was a great player in his days, uh, Ray we Alan McMahon and David Grant. So we all ended up in Canberra together. Canberra community was so passionate uh, about uh, you know the idea of of now they, they, they their favourite team become the Canberra Raiders now, uh, but unfortunately I was starting to get a few injuries. I remember that the weather in Canberra is was, uh, uh, was very cold. I ended up snapping a bone in my instep a lot, and so I said I've oh, had enough of this. So. <laughs> it's a funny story. People said, well, "How did you quit?" I said, well, "What do you mean, how did I quit?" I said, "Well, how did you? you? never told anybody." I said, "Well, I didn't have to. I just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I choose my own destiny in life. I don't want to be chosen for me." So, what I did was a rainy night. It was a rainy night. I was travelling across the Queenie and If you know Queenie at all. I got my gear out of the the car, stopped on the bridge, got my gear out of the back of the car, and threw it in the Crimean River. Never played a game since, <laughs> and because they didn't have they didn't have, uh, they have mobile phones or anything, so they couldn't find me. <laughs> and. look, I may receive academic qualifications, I mean I have a Master's, I have a Bachelor of Arts honours with Honours uh, but I don't see myself, I'm still, a, I'm still this little cheeky black kid from the Mission. And, and I, did, I, I did my BA in, in block mode uh, and actually um, ended up with... One thing that, that, I, that becoming a, a, a teacher, I mean I was always a natural Teacher and, uh, and, and and spoke a lot at at conferences and so forth. But these were skills that that I that my education later on in life actually helped me with, uh, and it made me a lot more powerful uh, speaker, uh, and it made me it made me um, and I guess I, I wanted to to say well if I can do it at my age, your kids can do it at your age easy. I want to actually implement a, an Indigenous business pedagogy into the curriculum, um, but at the moment it's just theory. I know it would work, but I, as a as an academic, I can't preempt that. Uh, so I'm doing a case study on the Rarig Nation. So I hopefully that. Um, well, look, I, um, I I started working in the um, work in organizational studies, uh, and I was focusing heavily on my PhD, and I'm sort of developing an indigenous pedagogy model for, basically for our people, that are, uh, for our entrepreneurial people. So finding a model, a business model, that's embedded in our very ancient culture, all right? Which takes into consideration the epistemology, the ontology, uh, and the pedagogy. Pedagogy is a, is a, is an educational term in that context. Um, but what what I'm trying to to is to is to find another uh, model that I could integrate the indigenous business model into, so that. They can deal with the I mean, one of the problems with indigenous business, other than ha- not having a, a niche market, so forth, is, um, is that the literary numeracy side of business is a bit confronting for them, so they outsource that work to mainstream accountants, and that are very expensive. Um, so the, So a business pedagogy mo- model is, a, is a, a very unique thing, so. The only model that I've found and uh, that that fits perfectly with my um, theory on on pedagogy, uh, a business pedagogy model embedded in culture is the Great Britain model of new enterprises or social enterprises. Now that's quite ironic considering that the British (laughs) <laughs> the, the British people were our uh, nemesis, so to speak, you know, uh, when they, you know, post-colonisation, we, we were suffering a lot of health issues because of, of colonisation. So I came across, just discovered this uh, quite recently, is that the Great Britain uh, social enterprise is a non-for-profit uh, entity, but it also focuses on social values, all right, as well as economic emancipation. Um, and and um, but it fits quite nicely because Indigenous people have social values, and their social values are uh, are very um, have been crafted since the time of the. I mean, our social values are older older than the. Um, the people itself. It came from the dream time. Um, in Waraji language we have one word that 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 explains what social core, social value, and that's yindamara. Yindamara is one word. And it talks about leadership, really talks about uh, reciprocity, and it, it really it also addresses um, it, it, it addresses uh, the ways of knowing and the ways of doing things, um, but most important thing uh, within the Rajid core values and the Indigenous core values is, is trust. Once you get their trust, you've got it forever. But it's not that easy. Well, the, the, my masters was on um, social emotional, or, or, or social emotional uh, well being of our communities, and particularly the. the uh, my community, the condominium community. Um, it, basically, it was a it was a study to, study to actually highlight the fact that um, we all suffer with, with social emotional um, mental health issues. Um, but it's it's it can be managed and it can be so, and and basically my master's sort of what uh, was more of a narrative. Uh, piece of work. Indigenous Australians are very qualitative people in design. They like to tell their stories in a narrative way, as as within the framework of a story, you know, so storytelling. But my my study was was quite unique, and I wanted to give it back to the, to the community. But unfortunately, when you're writing a, a, a academic paper, a lot of it's hard to understand. So, you, you know, I, I'm trying to to tell us people, uh, tell my people about whole expansion, what my study was about, but it was too academic in design uh, and a lot of them just didn't really understood it but it certainly certainly uh, received a lot of um, support and, and, and strong strongly endorsed from the the wider mainstream saying well it's a it's a nice piece of work uh, Finally, really was the. Talk about um, um, social, emotional well-being uh, and uh, I know that's, that's a more of a, a, a non-Indigenous term. I mean, we refer to it as, as mental health or uh, that uh, in Wiradjuri language, we actually refer to it as Gwangi. Don't worry about parole, Uncle Over your pride, it's just a bit Gwangi, I mean, a, bit, a bit silly. I think being involved in the ABC Connect program started me thinking about mental health, yeah, the for long yeah. Um, when, I was, when I was playing footy, I, I was a drinker, but I haven't had a drink for 25 years. So, I, I, but I used to suffer a lot now, but I didn't realise that. And then Wayne kind of explained to me, and I think, God, i felt that way many times. Um, so I was just two old mates having the yarn, talking about, and then, and then I thought, um, then I reflected back on, on, on my life, you know. I reflected back on growing up on the mission. Uh, the act belong commit. It, it's it's a kind of it's, it's like a liaison sort of a uh, approach to delivering mental health um, stories and, and information. Um, and it's well received, it's well received out there and the fact is that the important thing is that within that we've created trust now with our people and once we've got that trust, we've got them they now look forward to our visits every year and I think it perhaps needs to be expanded to take on more new information that's evolving. so it's about sharing of information and what you can do and basically the message is don't suffer in silence Speak to somebody about it. Yeah, well, the the, the towns we've been to is Dubbo, um, and then we go out f- further west, um, Wilcannia, Bawarana, Burke, Broconil, uh and there's uh, there's another little place, um, uh, not Wilcannia. There's, and there's a couple of other places that I, I just can't escape from at the moment. Um, so we go to these towns, and and and, uh, and they're very receptive now. We're all on name, first name basis with everybody now, and we're not. It's not just about indigenous stuff. It's it's about getting the message out there to, particularly to the farmers, the landowners, and so forth. Saying, look, um, depression doesn't segregate. It doesn't discriminate. Uh, and if you want to. Uh, Want, want to live a life? You, you need to deal with it. Accept the fact you have depression, and then you can move on. Um, so, so that's that's the message. So Wayne Wayne talks about his experiences, and I so now that you listen to Wayne's world, let me tell you a bit more about Percy's world, and then I start from that. We've all had uh, terrible things happen to us in our life, and. Uh, uh and and but we we need to be positive and uh and go out and uh and tell your story to other people, share your stories you know don't don't be afraid there's no shame in it you know, i mean shame won't feed you. you know don't worry about that, don't care about that you know just 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 go out and 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 have positive thoughts do do good things you do bad things in community. But you know, you've got to be conscious of the fact that uh, it's all right to grieve for a while and we have a lot of side business, but don't allow it to be to, to be grieving all your life. Mental health, it doesn't say great or, or um, you know, anybody can get it. But it is a sickness and, and like any sickness, can be managed, you know. You know, the best thing to do is, is that when you... Um, when, you, uh, when you've got depression, it's not the suffering song. Talk to somebody. You talk to your teachers, talk to your parents, talk to your uh, schoolmates and uh, your, your sporting mates and all that. So even when you're walking your dog, talk to your dog about it. I say, so but you probably think that's a bit rough,) but... First of all, I, I negotiated with a letter team that, that negotiated a $22 million native title grant with Barrett Gold uh, near West Wyalong. Now that that land sits on on are the traditional owners of that land. So we we quite. So I was then uh, told about it, and they said, "Look, we need somebody to lead us in these discussions." So what I I was the one that they that they appointed. So it took us six months to actually negotiate. Uh, You know, we we then created a new beginning for our people. Now, a new beginning is, is, okay, let's... Now that that we have got economic uh, freedom, you know, we've got to do it wisely. We've got to plan. We've got to plan for for a time when the mind's not going to be there forever. So we've got to create business opportunities. Uh, we've got to support our young people, um, and, um, and we've got to, you know, we've got to teach the community about social values. Um, so, we, and we built this thing uh, we call the Raji Study Centre. We also built a, a, a house right next to it. Basically, basically what I wanted to do is, is create a social enterprise, you know, we we used to um, help the community in whatever way we can in terms of supporting the sporting people. Um, you know, people looking for work. We had a lot of training programs going on. Yeah, you know, we had a great relationship with the Western Institute of TAFE, um, and I was chair of that the Indigenous Working Group there for a while uh, with, with with TAFE. Uh, and things things were 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 happening, and the um, the Regi Study Centre itself become uh, uh, a really a, a beacon for our our, our people, and uh, uh, and it's it's well known now, um, particularly because we built it, we created it, we built it, and uh, and we designed it, uh, and it's actually designed like a learning circle, and so the word Regi Study Centre, like it's a learning circle. Um, it's it's a, it's a great it's a great place, but I, I think I think the great thing is that it's motivating our younger people, and uh, they they see this as a unique way of of, of creating pathways, educational pathways to whether to TAFE or even higher education at universities. I, I'm I'm the I was actually voted the Citizen of the Year. In Kandaburin. and that you know may not be much uh, much to mean to others, but back to me, that meant like right, I was v- very humble. Um, but um, but the award that I, I I received, I was the first Indigenous person from Country to get such an award. But I said, this is maybe given to me, but it's given to our people. All right. As as a way of saying, well, you know, we're not losers. You know, we're hard workers. We wanna to, wanna to move move forward. We don't want conflict.
0: Thank you for listening. If there's been anything in this podcast that you've found distressing, don't forget to contact your usual support person. Or you can call Lifeline on 131114. And if you'd like to hear more in the Being Well podcast series, you can find it on the Black Dog Institute website.